Galatians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11, I'm going to read through verse 14. It says, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But that when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Now, that Peter's response there may actually continue down into the next verses. We're not exactly sure if he's continuing his response, but he goes into a doctrinal discussion there. Um, be that as it may, we'll pick up there next time, but this will give us enough today. I want us to note here, though, this section. It's a very interesting section. Here um, are two leaders, two apostles, and there is an issue of conflict that comes up here um, in a matter of compromise of the gospel. It comes to a matter of the compromising of the truth of the gospel. And so it is very significant. You know, um, leaders, when leaders fall or when leaders give out a wrong message, it's always a sad thing because many times there is grave danger for their followers. And in verses 11 through 14, we have a very clear example of this in what's going on. At Antioch, and it's a serious matter. In fact, you, if you notice uh, the language that is used in this passage, depending on what version you may be looking at, but here in verse 11, when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him. That word also means to oppose. And he just didn't just oppose him, he opposed him to his face. It was done publicly in front of everyone there. And it says he was to be blamed, or he had condemned himself. And then he goes on, they were, um, in verse 13, they were dissembling or playing the hypocrite. Peter was playing the hypocrite here. And in so much, it says that even Barnabas, Barnabas was carried away with this. He was even involved. Must have troubled Paul to even have to write his name. And Barnabas had been such a great friend of Paul's, had been the one that introduced him there in Jerusalem to the other believers when they were afraid of Saul. But here, Paul mentions this instance, and he mentions these men by name. And there, of course, in verse 14, they were not walking uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, or they were undercutting the truth of the gospel by what was going on. And so today I want us to look at this, Um, this passage before us. Now, it's very interesting, but you need to keep the right mindset here. And what I mean by that is this. Paul is writing to the Galatians. We get transported to a situation that goes on in Antioch in this particular passage. But Paul is actually writing the Galatian believers. 
And he's relating this story to the Galatians to demonstrate, to demonstrate that his authority was equal to all of the other apostles. He was no less an apostle than the others. And even in this story, he had to confront Peter, Peter, who was really the foremost apostle at the time. And so in doing this, he was relating and he was using this as an illustration that indeed he was not the least in any way less than any of the other apostles. Well, but and also the issue that he um, gives um, attention to here is also directly relevant to the issues which he is addressing in this letter. Basically that of the Judaizers and the message of circumcision and requiring the Jews wanting to require that Gentile believers come under the Mosaic law to truly be saved. It wasn't just believing in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, but they also had to keep the law to truly be saved. And of course that came out eventually, was definitively decided there at the council in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. So here's this issue. And again, like I said, remember why Paul is including it here, but what he's doing is taking us back to Antioch. Now, this is such an interesting passage and it's such a big deal that many have actually tried to explain this away. There have been some who said, well, this, this couldn't have been really Peter. This, this must have been some other Cephas, you know, because, and there are those who in other, um, I would call them other faiths, but other religions, teach that the apostles were inspired, that uh, everything they said was, you know, without error. That is actually false. The apostles were never inspired. God's word was given by inspiration. God inspired his word. The apostles were not inspired. God's word is inspired. His word is inerrant. But the apostles definitely were men just like us. They had feet of clay. And so, but again, there are those who want to um, teach that the apostles were infallible or they were inspired. And the problem is, well, here's Peter, and he's doing something that is wrong, and he's called out on it. And so, like I said, there's, there, people have uh, said, oh, it was a different Cephas, or maybe Paul was just young and immature in his response, and he really blew it out of proportion, and he really shouldn't have done that. Or then there are some who have actually said that, well, Paul and Peter were actually just play-acting. They had this whole thing all set up, and they, and they did it just to kind of prove a point to the Gentiles. Wow. You know, that, that's going to some length to try to uh, explain away the fact of the problem and Peter's compromise of the gospel. And so, obviously, those are not correct interpretations. They're um, not substantiated at all by a proper interpretation of Scripture. But I just want to mention that because it's actually a big deal. Because here are two men, two men used greatly of God, two men with apostolic authority, and there's a confrontation here and I want us to look at this today. <clears throat> Again, this happened during a visit of Peter to the church at Antioch. This was the first church where Jews had been leaving Jerusalem because of the persecution that arose around Stephen. And some of these Jews went up to Antioch of Syria <clears throat> and were preaching the gospel to Gentiles. And the Gentiles received the gospel, believed it. And of course, when the Jews, the believers down there in Jerusalem heard about it, well, they sent Barnabas up to check it out. We've already gone over this. This is part of the history of this church. And Barnabas went there, checked it out, and sure enough, these Gentiles had received the gospel and had believed in Jesus Christ, just as these Christian Jews had. 
When did this happen? Well, we're not exactly sure when it happened. It happened either prior to Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey, as recorded in Acts chapter 20, or 12, verse 25, through 13, verses 2 and 3. That's when they went on their, um, went on their first missionary journey. Acts 12, 25 records the account of Paul and Barnabas returning from Jerusalem after their first visit where they had taken uh, relief to the Jewish believers there in Jerusalem because of the famine. It could have happened there in between their return to Antioch and their leaving on their first missionary journey. Or it could have happened after the first missionary journey in Acts chapter 14 and verse 28, um, as Barnabas and Paul return back after their missionary journey. It says they, there they abode in Antioch long time with the disciples. There at the end of Acts chapter 14. There are some who have postulated that maybe it be it was um, after the council or because of the council there at Jerusalem in chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Maybe it, Peter had visited right prior to that. The only problem with that interpretation is in the Galatians account, <coughs> Barnabas was carried away with the dissimulation. In the Acts 15 account, it says here, it says, "...in certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren." Taught the brethren where? At Antioch. And said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. And there it was an ultimatum. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas should go with certain of them to, up to Jerusalem about the apostles and the elders about this question. Um, so it probably wasn't at that time because, again, Barnabas stood right next to Paul and they both were um, objecting to this false teaching. But the situation here as is related to us, when it happened, it's really not that significant, though it is interesting to kind of look at what was going on at that church at the time. But here, the situation, um, <clears throat> the issue of this crisis, I want to tell you that it was not, it was really not the message or the content of the gospel. It had nothing to do with the message of the gospel. It's not the message or the content of the gospel. That had already been clearly established. And in the first 10 verses of chapter 2, chapter two Paul has already talked about that. Having gone to Jerusalem there, and he met, he met there with those who were of reputation. He says he, you know, he went there and he met with them privately, made sure he had not run or should run in vain. He wanted to make sure that they were on the same page regarding what was being required of the Gentiles. Is it truly salvation by faith alone, or are we going to require of the Gentiles that they keep the Mosaic Law? And of course, Peter, James, and John, they all agreed with what Paul was teaching. Paul had no question about the gospel he was teaching. He received it directly from the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so here, the issue at Antioch when Peter was there was not the content or the message of the gospel. It was also not regarding the, re the correct response to the gospel, He's not dealing with the correct response to the gospel message. Paul has been writing about the correct response to the gospel in his letter to the Galatians, but this incident with Peter didn't deal with that either. So what was the situation? Well, Peter was visiting Antioch. He'd come up from Jerusalem. In verse 11, when Peter was come to Antioch, so he'd been there. He was there. He'd actually been there for a while. And for some time, he had been fellowshipping with and eating with these Gentile believers, as though there was no difference. 
He was enjoying their fellowship, enjoying good Christian company, eating with them, fellowshipping with them, and without any issues. This would probably have included, obviously, the Lord's table, their communion meal, which they probably celebrated almost maybe weekly. But even from house to house, as the believers would meet together for meals, Peter was involved, and he was fellowshipping with the Gentiles. No problem. However, Peter, at this time, separated himself. We're going to look at the cause for that. But I want us to go back a little bit and look at Peter's previous experiences. This is going to help us to determine what's going on here. In Mark chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, this goes back to when Peter and the the disciples were walking with Jesus, and Jesus was instructing them. There in Mark chapter 7 was the the conflict or the controversy there of the disciples eating without washing their hands. You remember that? Yep, the Pharisees were all upset. It says in verse 1, it says, Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And they made a special trip for this. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they washed their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And so here they asked Jesus, when the Pharisees and scribes in verse 5 asked him, Why walk not thy, thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Can you believe it? Unwashed hands? Have any of you done that this last week? Eat without washing? Don't tell me about it. I don't want to know. Okay. But here, this, the big issue here. And what did Jesus say? Well, later on in the chapter... Jesus, as he's speaking to the disciples, in verse 17, he says, And when he entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable he had given. And he said unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man? It cannot defile him, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draft, purging all meats. And he said in verse 20, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man for from within. Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders. And he gives this list of all these sins. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. So way back, even in the ministry while Jesus was on earth, Jesus had addressed that which defiles a man. It's not the food that he's eating. But then when we come to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10, we find Peter, he's there in Joppa, and while he's there, he's up on the roof, meditating. While he's there, it's getting to be about the lunchtime, and he's getting hungry. And it says here in verse 10 of Acts chapter 10, he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And this happens three times. Peter has this vision three times. Peter sees this sheet with all these, all these 
critters and creatures on there, and some of which were not, were not kosher. They were not uh, for the Jews to eat, according to the Old Testament law, creeping things. And, you know, and Peter says, well, I can't eat that. But what's God's response? He says, what I have called clean, don't you call unclean. Immediately after he sees this vision three times, we know what happens. These men from Cornelius, a Gentile, come and they're inquiring for Peter. And so Peter goes with them. And Cornelius has been desiring to hear the message of the gospel. And God has worked miraculously to direct Peter to his home to share the gospel. And of course, so Peter goes, and lo and behold, as he preaches to Cornelius and he shares the gospel, well, what happens? He, he comes and he has this, this revelation. It suddenly occurred to Peter that that vision that he'd had wasn't dealing with food and meat. It had to do with Gentiles and the fact that the Jews considered the Gentiles unclean. And they would, of course, never eat with them. That was just forbidden. And there in Acts chapter 10, when he goes to Cornelius, Peter, in verse 34, says this, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. It says, But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Aha! So Peter has had a perception. God is not a respecter of persons. God does not put a difference between the Jew and the Gentile when it comes to salvation. And Peter accurately and rightly perceived this. In the very next chapter, he goes back to Jerusalem, and the, and the, the other Jews at Jerusalem had heard that he had gone and had lunch with Gentiles. Unbelievable. And they called him on the carpet. They brought him in. Chapter 11, Acts 11, it says, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised and didst eat with them. Ah, that is a no-no. What were you thinking, Peter? Well, then what happens? Well, Peter says, well, let me share with you exactly what happened. And he shares how God had shown him the vision, how these men from Cornelius had come. They showed up at the door, and he went with them. And God had said, what I have cleansed, call not thou common. In verse 15, as he's relating this to these Jews in Jerusalem, he says, as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? It says, when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Wow. So Peter, Peter knew full well that the gospel was going to the Gentiles. Now, <clears throat> these were his previous experiences. And Peter, again, he was rebuked by the other Jews for eating with Cornelius. Now here at Galatians, it says, when Peter was come to Antioch, Paul says, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, there was a, a delegation of these Jewish uh, Judaizers and they came from Jerusalem. 
Well, I, I really don't believe that they were sent by James, but these were people who were claiming to speak for James or speaking for the leaders there. And these are the ones that Paul is dealing with, these Judaizers, in the book of Galatians. But here they come. And, and before they came, Peter was eating with the Gentiles as if there was no difference, fellowshipping, enjoying their spiritual fellowship. And then these Jews showed up. And when they did, what did Peter do? It says, well... When they were come, he withdrew from these Gentile believers and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision, fearing these Judaizers that were coming up from Jerusalem. And so at some point here, Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles. But not only him. It says in verse 13, not only Peter, but the other Jews... The other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Even the Jewish believers there at Antioch, all of a sudden, they're following Peter's example. I mean, Peter is the foremost apostle. If Peter's doing it, then, well, we probably should follow his lead. Even Barnabas was carried away. Paul describes it as hypocrisy, hypocrisy. Well, what was the nature of the situation that was going on here? What is the issue that's at stake? Well, if you are rightly discerning, the issue at stake has to do with fellowship. I want you to think about that. The issue here at stake is fellowship. With whom can I have spiritual communion? And this, this has, absolutely has bearing on us today. With whom can I have spiritual communion? Well, the answer to that question is with believers of equal standing before God. That's whom we have fellowship with and have communion, with believers of equal standing before God. So who can you eat with without sending a wrong message? Can you actually send a wrong message, even just by eating with certain people? Well, the answer to that is, yes, you can. And we're going to look at this. This is what this passage is clearly teaching. The issue here was fellowship. Now, what was the reason for the compromise? Remember, the gospel ended up being compromised here. Paul was concerned about that in verse 14. The truth of the gospel that's, what he's in, that's really what he's jealous for here. Well, here's the reason for the compromise. It says here, before certain came from James, Peter ate with the Gentiles. But when these Jews were come from Jerusalem, he withdrew himself, fearing them of the, of the circumcision. Had Peter changed his mind about the status and the position of Gentile believers? No, not at all. He knew they were believers. He had seen God's ministry through him to Cornelius. He had been enjoying the fellowship of these believers up to this point in Antioch. Peter had not changed his mind about the believers, the Gentile believers. And we know this because what does Paul call him out for? Dissimulation, which is hypocrisy. Peter, you're not living according to what you believe. You know 
that the Gentiles are on equal standing with us as believers. You know that. You are playing the hypocrite. That's what he is saying to Peter. Peter knew better. This wasn't a mistake. He knew better. He's acting hypocritically out of fear. Fear of man. What was he afraid of? Maybe it had to do with his reputation. or It doesn't exactly say why, but it does say he was afraid. He was afraid of the way they might perceive him or the, the way they might talk about him or maybe his reputation. Because, again, the Jews in general, no, you don't fellowship, you don't eat with Gentiles. I remember his response to the salvation of Cornelius. He rejoiced. He said, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but here he is playing the respecter of persons himself. Of course, the scriptures give us the warning in Proverbs 29 and verse 25 about the fear of man. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, it says, The fear of man bringeth a snare. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Peter's making a grave error here, and he is acting based on his fear of men. Well, we see here Paul's response. What was Paul's response? Well, <clears throat> says Paul, he says, I withstood him to the face. I opposed him publicly before them all. And I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why didn't Paul just pull Peter aside and, and privately discuss this with him? Well, this was something that was done in front of them all and was causing other believers in that assembly to play the hypocrite just as him, and he needed to be rebuked publicly. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul giving instruction to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 20, he says, Them that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. Now, who is them? Does that just mean anybody that sinned? I'm going to stand up here. I'm going to call out all of you guys by name for your sins this last week. No, he's talking there in the context of an elder, a leader, a person who God has given a position of leadership in the church. When a leader makes a wrong decision, when a leader falls, it is oftentimes devastating to those who are following, following him. I mean, how many times have we seen that in our own lifetimes? happens all the time. And this is the danger when you put your trust in a man. Guaranteed, he will fail you. And though God has put people in positions of leadership, just like Paul said, remember what Paul said? He told the believers, he goes, you fall, be followers of me. But he didn't stop there, did he? He didn't just say, hey, you do what I'm doing and you'll be okay. Just follow me. No, he says, you be followers of me as I am of Christ. And Paul says, where I am following Christ, you are safe to follow my example. The fact is, not every man follows Christ all of the time, though we should. And our eyes have to be fixed on the Lord. But here, them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. It was absolutely imperative. It was necessary. It wasn't a matter of Paul's immaturity and being overly you know, zealous. No, it needed to be said and it needed to be said immediately because what was happening, it was, it was dividing the church at Antioch. The Jewish believers there were, the, oh, well, 
maybe we shouldn't be having fellowship with these Gentiles if Peter's not, and, and Barnabas too. He, he got carried away with it also. Well, <clears throat> Peter's walk Peter's walk was contradicting the truth of the gospel. And Paul says to him, why are you compelling the Gentiles to live like the Jews? You say, well, how is he compelling the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Well, note what he says. In verse 14, he says, But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Exactly what he's saying there is, Peter, up to this point, you've been living like a Gentile. You've been eating their food. You've been in their homes, eating their meals. You've not been asking questions like, well, was that kosher? Was that, was that actually bled before you cooked it? Um, what kind of meat is that? Is that a, oh, I can't eat it. No, he was eating without scruples. He was fellowshipping with them. But all of a sudden now the Jews come and he plays the hypocrite. And sending a message to those Gentile believers that there was something wrong with them. And in actuality, they needed to be like the Jews if they wanted to have fellowship. But of course, Paul's response here, he rebuked him before all. Now, if that had been in today's contemporary Christianity, how would it have gone over? Well, how does contemporary Christianity in general deal with issues of fellowship and associations? Uh, just, just ignore it. It's not a big deal. Just, just ignore it. Let it go. Don't, don't make an issue over that. You know, it's, it's not the things that divide us. We've got to focus on the things that unite us. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Now, and I mean, isn't Paul just, aren't you, Paul, aren't you just really making a mountain out of a molehill? I mean, really? No. But what Paul is saying here and what we see from this passage, listen carefully. Who you eat with could compromise the gospel. Who you eat with could compromise the gospel. It's exactly what is happening here in this passage. Who you eat with could actually compromise the gospel. Now, again, Paul is confronting you see the confrontation. And what is his great concern? He says, Peter, you are not walking uprightly. When I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, that Greek word orthopedic. So we get that. You go to an orthopedic surgeon, what's he doing? Oh, he's going to fix your bones. He's going to fix your feet. Make sure you're walking straight. Paul says, Peter, you are not walking straight according to the gospel. Peter knew right doctrine. He had preached right doctrine. He wrote great books. First and second Peter, I mean, he wrote um, scripture that God inspired. But here at this point, his walk contradicted his doctrine. His walk was contradicting his doctrine. You can eat with the wrong people and bring the truth of the gospel into question. You can eat with the wrong people. This is exactly what Peter did. We see his motives. And what happened? Well, 
He brought the truth of the gospel into question. He was compromising the truth of the gospel. He said, well, wait a minute, though. How can you explain God's blessing on Peter's ministry? I mean, if this Peter's doing this, then, I mean, he wrote these two epistles. He, you know, he did, he was a great speaker, and he did all these other things. How can you explain God's blessing on his ministry? I mean, at Pentecost, 3,000 people were, were truly saved, truly born again. They didn't just sign cards. I mean, they were, these were really born again from his preaching. How do you explain that? I mean, he was an apostle. But the fact is, folks, Peter, like every one of us, was a man. Peter was a man. Every human leader is still a man. And every human leader has flaws. And I'll be the first to raise my hand. I got flaws. Yes, I do. If God uses me, it will be in spite of my flaws. Now, that doesn't mean I excuse flaws. and I think, oh, I just, I'm just human. That's not an excuse. But the fact is, here's Peter, an apostle. And if Peter, even as an apostle appointed by God, one who wrote scripture, one who is powerfully used by the Lord. In fact, Jesus gave, says he gives to Peter the keys to the kingdom to unlock the, the gospel for the Jews and also for the Gentiles. If a man like that can stumble, we should take heed. We can do the same. Now, what's going on here? We talked about this and we said the issue here was fellowship. Well, did you know that fellowship can communicate the wrong message in two different ways? First of all, if I withhold fellowship from those with whom I should have fellowship, I'm compromising the truth of the gospel. You see, what is the truth of the gospel? The gospel puts us all on an even footing, right? We're all equally condemned by God's law, and we are all equally cleansed by the blood of Christ. Whether, and in fact, he goes on later in Galatians in chapter 3, 28, he says, In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's not different levels. So fellowship can communicate the wrong message in two ways. First of all, we can withhold fellowship from them with whom we should be fellowshipping. That's what Peter was doing. Withholding fellowship implies that the other believer has a problem and is not on equal standing before God. That compromises the truth of the gospel. But secondly, fellowship can communicate the wrong message when we grant fellowship to those, when we grant spiritual fellowship to those who are not true believers. What message are we sending? I remember, <clears throat> I remember my father <clears throat> as a doctor, and he was always witnessing to the patients that came to see him. That was his ministry. He looked at medicine really as his mission field. It was really not a job. He always said, you know, he was Adam, why would you want to go into medicine? He goes, how often can you treat the common cold and find it exciting? Well, that's a, that's a pretty good way of putting it. But he says, what I find exciting is to be able to share the gospel with every patient that comes in to see me. 
Well, I remember one time my dad expressed concern because it was going to be a big crusade coming to Denver. And some of his patients that he'd given the gospel to were talking about going to this particular crusade. And my dad was quite concerned about that because at this particular crusade, yes, the gospel was presented. But when people would come forward to be dealt with by counselors, the counselors there in the front were Catholics, Lutherans, Baptists, Presbyterians, all flavors. And you talk about spiritual confusion. Oh, but they all named the name of Christ. And what would happen is these patients would come back to my dad. And this happened. And they said, well, you know, you told us this, but then we met afterwards with this guy who told us this. So my dad was careful to t- tell them, when, if, if you go to that crusade, please come back and talk to me. He wanted to make sure that the truth of the gospel was not compromised. And the thing is, folks, when we give fellowship and have communion with those who are truly not believers, what message do we send? We send a message that will compromise the gospel. And this happens all the time in modern ecumenical Christianity. There are a lot of people who name the name of Christ, who when they stand before God, he's going to look at them and say, I never knew you. And they're going to say, well, wait a minute. We preached in your name. We did miracles in your name. What do you mean you don't know us? It's a sobering thought. Very sobering thought. And so here in this passage here, let us note what is at stake when we fellowship with those who are not true believers and we have communion with them. That is wrong. We are sending a wrong message about the gospel. Public rebuke is sometimes necessary. And a godly man will respond correctly. Now, there is... No mention here of Peter's response. Paul doesn't go on and give us that. Peter never mentions it. It's not mentioned in the book of Acts. But Paul uses it here as an illustration in Galatians for what he is trying to teach these believers who are being tempted and are starting to turn back to the law under the influence of those who are saying, listen, if you're truly saved... You've got to be keeping the law or you're not truly saved. Listen, our fellowship must not send a message of confusion about the gospel. And this is what Peter did. Paul says, When I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles and not as do the Jews... Why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Let us be careful. Let us not play the hypocrite. But let us stand for the truth of the gospel. Let us be wise in our associations. And the message that we send to other believers because of our associations. And this is why I said... um, 
even with whom you eat, could, in fact, compromise the truth of the gospel. Now, folks, this isn't simple stuff. This is heavy. This truly is the meat of the word. Far easier. Oh, yeah, far easier to say, hey, there's, it's no big deal. And again, that's done all the time in Christianity today. But what happens? The truth of the gospel ends up being compromised. And Paul stood, stood against this with no reserve. So may we have wisdom. And may we live in such a way that we'll not compromise the truth of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage here that we've looked at today. Lord, help us to realize the seriousness of it and to see the error. Lord, in seeing the error, may we look carefully at our own lives. And Lord, may we walk in such a way that the truth of the gospel is not compromised. Lord, that the truth of the gospel is in no way blurred or become fuzzy by the way we live. Lord, by our associations. Lord, may we have fellowship, true spiritual fellowship with those who truly are believers. But Lord, may we not attempt to have spiritual fellowship with those who are walking in darkness, who are dead spiritually. And Lord, may we have the discernment and the wisdom to know the difference. Lord, we thank you for Paul's willingness to see through the hypocrisy, and Lord, to address it. Lord, may we have wisdom that you grant us for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we close.